Gospel of our Saviour Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 44. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As we remain standing, let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of these moments. And we pray now that your word and scripture might be our rule. We ask that your Holy Spirit might be our teacher. And in this and in all things, we pray that your greater glory would be our supreme concern. Through Christ our Lord. Well, may I add my words of welcome to those that Paddy has already given. It really is a great joy uh, to see all of you, and it's a great privilege for me uh, to be able to speak. I will uh, give you this undertaking that I will certainly endeavor for the next few moments not to mention underwear. Uh, not to reference <laughs> chicken farms and, if at all possible, to avoid sounding like a rather angry North Antrim preacher. <laughs> and by happy coincidence, uh, today is Ascension Day. There's something wonderfully appropriate about that, and I, I'll come to that in just a moment. But first of all, what is it in summary that has been going on for the past 253 days since the beginning of this academic year. Well, here's my summary. 470 lectures, right? 229 assignments, 10 dissertations, 9 portfolios, work that one out, 259 <laughs> services in chapel, 62 tutorial groups, 22 trips into Trinity, approximately 23,000 cups of coffee, <laughs> a 
approximately 71,000 photocopies and a small matter of an allocation from the representative body of 1.38 million euros. All of which somehow brings us to this point of what feels like completion. Or is it? Because in another sense, I think it is both an ending and a beginning. And it's precisely that kind of bipolarity that wonderfully makes the theme of Christ's ascension of great re re relevance and significance for us. Because we, we've heard both of Luke's account, the end of the gospel and the beginning of his second volume. So what I want to do, very simply, is to ask a question of that story of the ascension. What can we learn from it for a life of discipleship and ministry? That's what we're all about, I hope. And that's the question that I'm asking of Acts chapter 1. First of all, to say this, that such a life, a life that would be that of discipleship and ministry, must must, must be apostolically grounded. The final thing that Jesus does as part of his earthly ministry before he can return to his Father is to ensure that his chosen apostles have been fully instructed and are robustly in place. And so we read that up until the day when he was taken up to heaven after his resurrection, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, after he presented himself alive to them with many convincing proofs, he made them to be apostles whom he had chosen. And the simple reason for that is that the church which will now begin to emerge on foot of the ministry of these chosen ones is to remain apostolically grounded. Of course, it becomes, doesn't it, the title of Luke's second volume, Acts of the Apostles. And it's the apostles who perform miraculous signs in what follows. It's the apostles primarily who offer preaching and teaching. It's through the apostles that leadership is exercised. And it's by virtue of their testimony to the risen Christ that the apostles become, as it were, a New Testament pillar of the household of faith. Alongside the Old Testament prophetic witness with Christ himself as the cornerstone. What does it mean to be the church? It's to be one, to be holy, to be Catholic, and to be apostolic. And for all of us as Anglicans, and particularly for those of us who would seek to exercise ministry within Anglicanism, to remain apostolically grounded is of paramount importance. Many of you are preoccupied with curacies, 
someone who's just arrived, <laughs> David Bell, you're most welcome. David and I were curates together up in, at Coleraine. David's here for tomorrow's training time, with Tim going there for his internship. And David will remember uh, where it was that I lived in my curacy in Coleraine. Uh, first of all, my own, and then Kirsten came to join me. It's the house number 42, and the, the rector, Fanta Clark, used to tell me once it's a house 42. <laughs> and it had this wonderful frontage right onto the river van. So I had this study at the front of this little house that overlooked the river with the train line running up to Derry over here uh, and the playing fields of Coleraine Minst on the other side and there were lots of boats. And I did work in the study but I often looked out the window as well. <laughs> and the river van around there is tidal. And what sometimes would happen is that the boat moorings would slip and they begin to drift. And you wouldn't notice it at first, but eventually you would see that they moved quite some way and needed to be retrieved. With that in mind, Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard, I might add, from the apostles, so that we do not drift away from it. Be careful about drift. Even drift through the months of the summer, because it may begin to happen imperceptibly, and notice that the writer of the Hebrew says, we must pay more attention. There's something important about the collective here as a corrective. There will be times in the exercise of your ministry when you lose heart. There will be times when you feel broken and hard-pressed. All the more so then, you need to cling to your apostolic moorings. And you may need others to gather around you, to encourage and bring you back to that. Don't allow yourself to become isolated because those who become isolated in ministry become vulnerable. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the story of the Ascension, I think, wants to teach us for a life of discipleship and ministry that it has to be spirit-empowered. So Jesus goes on uh, to tell them, ordering them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Lord, they say, is it now that you're going to uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? And he answers, it's not for you to know times and periods the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In Luke's theology, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is very prominent. He's there right at the very beginning of the gospel in the infancy narratives. He's there at the birth of John the Baptist. He's there when Jesus is presented in the temple. He's there leading Jesus into the desert. He's there 
on the lips of Jesus when he takes that charter for his own ministry in chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord, he says, it is upon me. And it's as if there's, there's this kind of crescendo, like a, a champagne bottle being shaken as you go through the gospel until on the day of Pentecost, the cork pops. And the Spirit is poured out on all who believe, just as the Lord has promised. So even these chosen apostles, even these who have spent three years with Jesus, even after they've had six weeks since the resurrection of what must have been the most incredible Bible study, even they have to wait in order to be filled and empowered for their tasks. And if the first mark that I mentioned, that of being apostolically grounded, reminded us of the creed, this second mark, that of being filled with the Spirit, it ought to carry us to the right ordination. What is the prayer of the church in the Anglican tradition on the occasion of ordination? Lord, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon these your servants for the office and work of whether it's deacon, priest, or bishop. We need a very, very deep sense of our own inadequacy. Didn't Jesus in John's Gospel, also speaking on another occasion of the coming of the Spirit, say, apart from me, you can do nothing? And more than that, we might even begin to suggest that these two first truths are actually linked. If we want to remain apostolically grounded and are able to do so, we can be confident that God will meet us with the gift and grace of his spirit. And if, conversely, we seek to open ourselves to the fullness of the anointing of the spirit, he will immediately bring us back again and again to the apostolic witness of the scriptures. So I wonder if there's something maybe that the Lord by his spirit needs to do as a new work in some of us, even today. In our kitchen, apart from two dogs who drive me insane, uh, we have one of these cordless kettles. I'm sure you've got one. And I, I often find that I, I, I lift it off its base and I go and I fill it up from the tap and then I stick it back on the base I walk off and I wonder why has nothing happened? <laughs> Forgot to switch it on. <laughs> Is there something in that for any of us to consider this evening? We're all plugged in. But do we need to allow the Spirit to switch us on? And maybe in particular to switch us on in relation to the final thing I want to say. What does the Ascension teach us for discipleship and ministry? being apostolically grounded, being spirit-empowered, and finally, being globally focused. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after that, as they're watching, he's lifted up. 
in his ascended glory to go back to be with his Father. That verse, of course, delineates the whole structure of Luke's second volume. As the gospel moves bit by bit, episode by episode, uh, through Jerusalem, then Judea, then into Samaria, and then symbolically to Rome as the end of the earth. And maybe the final challenge for us, this occasion of completion, is to consider that whilst ministry is essentially local, even parochial, its focus and its vision must be global. We heard at the beginning of this very busy and I hope enjoyable week the name of Abraham Kuyper, wonderful Dutch thinker. Kuyper once said this, when as Christian people we gather around the risen Christ, he stands with his face towards the world. That's the right perspective of what the church is meant to be. Do you know if you'd said to the early Christians, we're going to now have a time of worship. Somebody said this. If they heard that, we're going to have a time of worship, they would run to the doors and scatter in order to try and reach people for Christ. So let me end with these challenging words from a book called The Strength of Weakness. Do you want to know how to kill a church? Fasten its members' attention purely on internal matters. Get them agitated about what hymn book they should sing from. Make them anxious about charismatic enthusiasm in their midst or the sins of the ecumenical movement. Get them totally absorbed in a new building program or fundraising activities or simply being nosy about one another's problems. Doesn't really matter what the issue is so long as it has the effect of drying up their outreach. Then stand back, wait for spiritual gangrene to set in and do its lethal work. Go back a generation or two later and you will find that that church has become one of those nasty cliques dominated by a handful of families who cannot give up the habit of church going. Let's pray that the story of the Ascension on this, the day of celebrating the Ascension, will be written into our hearts, into our discipleship, and our ministry. Let's bow our hands.